Good morning, everyone. I'm Jillian. And I'm Riley. And we are the host for the... Podcast. podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> we tried. Um, it's really loud. <laughs> all right. Well, we are so excited to be starting our eighth episode, I believe. Right, Joe? Uh, Numero yeah. ocho. Perfect. We're so excited for today. So we're going to kick off the podcast the right way. Um, everybody raise your glasses, your mugs, um, and give us a big old cheers. Mugs up. Mugs up. Don't forget to post a photo on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and tag us in your photos. We would love um, to see everyone who's listening today. And don't forget that we have an amazing contest going on. You don't want to miss out. Um, Basically, you post your Mugs Up photo on Instagram and we will pick the best one on February 16th and you will have a chance to be a guest on the podcast. And I think there was already something posted about it on the Instagram. Mm -hmm. Was there one on Facebook yet or no? Um, I don't think so. Oh. Well, there's one on Instagram, so it'll tell you how to go about doing everything, tagging, hashtagging, etc. Yeah, we're really excited about it. We want to see all of your pictures. Yes, please. So today we actually pre-recorded our interview with Tava Wilson as our special guest. She is the mother of Christina Tornot. Um, and if you don't know her story, Tava is going to go into detail and tell you the entire story of Christina's journey with POTS. Um, And just to give you a little background, we have known Tava and her family for, I don't know how, a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually went to school with Christina's older brother for forever, um, and we knew Christina through mutual friends and cheerleading. Yes, we've known her for a little while. Um, Tava has actually been involved in the Dysautonomia Project for a few years now, and we actually have a huge event coming up yes the pots pie day 5k she actually is head of that event we have a committee put together by her um and this event is called the pots pie day 5k in memory of christina tornat mm-hmm. um, but we want to make sure that this event is for everybody whether you're a pots patient or a caregiver or you have a friend that has pots um maybe. or just want to come and support yeah it, it's a lot of fun. There are a lot of people go. We'll have a lot of different vendors, um, raffle. We went last year. Yeah. And it was, was there fun. was a lot of people there. I think there was there were over 400. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then you can also sign up as a virtual runner if you can't attend in person. So whether you're not feeling well that day or you live in another state or country, you can participate from all over the world. And you'll get an event t-shirt too. So yeah. you can register online at www.crowdrise.com slash 2018 POTS Pi Day 5K. And we can't wait to see everyone there. So here are today's four fast facts about dysautonomia. Number one, remember that it affects 70 million people worldwide. Fact number two, 80% of POTS patients are women. Fact number three, it affects people ages 15 to 50. Fact number four, it not only affects POTS patients' physical well-being, but also mentally. Our interview with Tava was extremely emotional, um, but she brought light to the many struggles that her and Christina went through um, with their journey with dysautonomia and POTS and how hard it was for her and for Christina. And, you know, that's why we're here. That's why we have the podcast um, to bring awareness and to make it known and get the word out. And, you know, it just reminded me and Jillian of why we're here hearing her story. It was um, it was encouraging for us to keep us going with this podcast um, 
and also why the dysautonomia project does what it does yeah we want to help you all find answers find the doctors that you need to see um, the resources that you need that's why we're here yes we know that it can be super you know mentally challenging when you have pots and uh, we went over that in our four fast facts um, how it does not only affect you physically but you know it does take a toll mentally we talk about in our interview how it seemed like Christina was always of great mental health, but we know that's not always the case with people going through their POTS journey. So in case any of you are having any thoughts, we just wanted to give you the suicide hotline um, just to remind you that there's always someone to talk to if you need help. So that number is 1-800-273-8255. Yes, and we'd like to welcome our special guest, Tava Wilson. All right, so my name is Tava Wilson, and I'm the mom of Christina Tornant, who had POTS, or dysautonomia, as well as EDS, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and her life ended on March 5th of 2015, and um, I need to briefly tell you her story. It could take like five mm-hmm. days, but I've got to do it briefly, so... Um, I think like the primary thing I want everyone to know about Christina is that what Christina brought to people's lives, those who knew her, was joy. I wrote in her baby book, Christina, you bring joy to everyone you encounter. And I've never known anyone like this. And this was when she was two. And that continued throughout her life. And she also carried an inner wisdom that was beyond her age. So you've probably heard me say, um, Nico would say to her, Oh, Christina, are you going to be 85 or 90 today? Because <laughs> to him like Nico and then like, da 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 da, and he'd be like, Oh mom, she's going to, she's 85 today. <laughs> and so she just had like this inner wisdom, which was, um, pretty cool. She taught me things when she was four years old, that I'd be like, how does this kid know this? Um, regarding her health, though, she had moderate to severe health problems throughout her life. But most of them weren't severe enough to warrant, like, long stays in the hospital or long, I mean, they did warrant visits to the ER. Um, it started from, at age five months, she had infant asthma, and it was pretty severe, Um, She seemed to have a high susceptibility to infections, running fevers in excess of 103 degrees every time she had any kind of infection. When she was little, she had something called hypohydrosis. Uh, We figured it out when she was like eight or nine. She didn't sweat, basically. Mm -hmm. She only would sweat from her hands, and that's about it. So her face would just turn beet red, and we lived in Florida, and it was hot a lot, and we'd all be dripping with sweat, and that's how we figured it out, that she which is now we now know is part of the autonomic nervous system. So she had problems regulating her body temperature from a young age. Um, But we didn't know that until later that this was all connected with uh, dysautonomia and EDS. She had consistent joint problems, ankle, knee, hips primarily, and um, had tumors removed from her femur and patella. And we now know that a lot of these things were associated with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, EDS. And and, and it, I'm pointing this out because I think that if EDS can be diagnosed at a young age, you can 
decide what your child is going to participate in athletically based on what's going to be better for their body. And in her case, um, any, anything with a lot of impact is, was terrible and exacerbated all of her symptoms. So, uh, gymnastics was, was rough. Competitive cheerleading was rough. Uh, track was really bad. Swimming was a good thing for her. And um, so we did a lot of things, and she, she got concussions three times uh, because of uh, cheerleading-related incidents. So there are a lot of things that happened that probably exacerbated what later became a very difficult uh, road with dysautonomia. Um, her gastrointestinal problems were there from the get-go. So she would get out, like when she was three, get out of a gymnastics workout and from the ages of three to nine when she stopped doing gymnastics and literally like gas would be coming out of her body for like 15 minutes just, and it was almost nonstop because she'd been holding it the whole time she was in, in the gym. And you know, these are all things that we saw special saw specialists about. And, and these are things that parents with kids with POTS, dysautonomia, EDS are going to get a lot. She looks fine. Uh, what are her grades like? She gets all A's. Okay. Is she still participating in sports? Yes. Okay. Why don't you take some Omeprazole or why don't you take some Miralax and they send you on your way. And this, we probably had these type of appointments 15, 20 times throughout her life. And, um, I will get into why that's not the way to go later in the interview when we talk about like what parents should do to help their kids. Um, another thing that she had was hypermobility. So she would walk, she would curl her toes under and walk on, yeah, on her like curled under toes, like her elbows, toes, scapula and fingers were all double jointed. Again, symptoms of, um, EDS. She began to have some brain fog starting at about the age of 15, maybe 14, more 15. And then, um, her symptoms were worsened when she got the Epstein-Barr virus, mononucleosis, in 2013 at the age of 15, which is, again, you know, I think that's when the some of the brain fog and stuff got worse. And her health was never restored after that. So it, it, she got a little bit better, but she never got back to what she'd been before 2013 when she had mono Um and following that, she was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, and I literally had to force the G GI doctors to do the uh, to do uh, the colonoscopy so that they could diagnose her with ulcerative colitis. I just wanted before she left for college, I wanted her to have a colonoscopy because she had been to the GI doctor so many times, and nothing had helped her. We had tried so many diets, nothing had helped. We tried the FODMAP diet. We tried no gluten. We tried no, no, uh, basically no anything. I mean, we've tried, we tried everything. And so they did it. And so they came, they came and told her it was that she had ulcerative colitis. And, and this was uh, a huge moment where she screamed like so loud and cried so hard from relief because she had a diagnosis that someone had actually heard of. And it was ulcerative colitis. Now, unfortunately, when we went for the post-op three weeks later, 
the doctor said, well, we think that was an isolated ulcerative colitis incident. You probably don't actually have it. There, there was nothing worse they could have told her, basically, mm-hmm. because now she thinks she actually has a diagnosis that people have heard of because no one's heard of POTS, and uh, she can't tell people she has POTS, but now they're telling her she really doesn't have it. And unbeknownst to me, she stopped taking her medication at that time, and so then she started having bloody stools and all kinds of ulcerative colitis-related problems because of really a complete breakdown of the medical profession at uh, the hospital we were at in in St. Petersburg. Anyway, so... In spite of all these health problems, she was the valedictorian of her, of her high school class in 2014, uh, graduated high school at the age of 16. She was a state finalist in uh, the butterfly as a swimmer and a state finalist as a hurdler in track. And she was accepted at MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which was her dream college as a swimmer and scholar. And as her dad and I were both very hesitant to send her to college and really didn't want to. And she just kept saying, mom, I'm going to college, mom, I'm going to college. I'm not staying here. And I think somewhere deep down, she thought like, if I just get out of Pinellas County, maybe I'll feel better. Like I just, nothing is helping me here. So, um, and the last, so we, we saw her GI doctor, uh, before we left. And the last thing she said to her was think healthy thoughts and you will be healthy. Literally, those were the words of the doctor. So what does this say to a driven type A personality person? Basically, uh, your head is where the problem is. So you need to change your, something in your head. There's something wrong in your head. And um, so off she went to college, and I guess you want the full story. So she got progressively worse there. I spent three three weeks in Cambridge with my husband and little one. Uh, trying to educate the doctors at MIT Medical about what POTS was. Three weeks didn't do much because they didn't seem to uh, be following her for that. They were just concerned she wasn't getting periods. It, it, and they gave her medication there that caused her to get a period, which is the absolute last thing you want to do with a POTS patient. And then in January of 2015, she got very sick. And what you don't want to have happen with someone who has dysautonomia is you don't want to get an infection because it's like a million times worse. Your body's already fighting to stay on some sort of equilibrium. And when you get an infection, it can't, it just goes haywire. So her body began to go haywire. And I remember receiving in January a text from her saying, mom, my body has finally given up for me, given up on me. And I stopped what I was doing, obviously called her. She didn't answer. I didn't realize it was because she was sleeping 20 hours a day at that point. She was barely functioning. Booked a flight to uh, Boston. It was there, They were having huge snowstorms then. So my flight was canceled. I booked another one. It was canceled. By the time I finally got there, she was just in such bad condition that I we had to take her out on a medical withdrawal. We got back to Florida, and so our plan was to let her get over the infection. So the last doctor we saw was an ear, nose, throat doctor who confirmed, okay, she's over her infection. And then um, that was on a Wednesday, and then Friday we would start. We'd done a lot of research. We had a couple of specialists we were looking into in other states. 
And but I had said Friday, I'll take you to the pool and I'll just help you float on your back because Christina was a swimmer. So I wanted her to gradually start to be able to do something that she had loved. And, um, you know, she uh, ended up on Thursday, uh, on March 5th, she drove to the Tampa International Airport and jumped off the uh, top level of the parking garage. And um, so we never did that on Friday. And I had, I'm a mental health counselor. I had talked with her quite a few times about suicidal ideation. And she denied any suicidal ideation or any suicide plans. And she would say, Mom, you know, I'm going to keep fighting. We're going to figure it out. And on the back of the picture, she said, left for me she said some funny things because she was pretty funny and so she said some funny things and she called herself my littlest dweeb and then she said I'm sorry I couldn't keep fighting and um, so that is basically her story um, in a very uh, short nutshell and if you guys like want to, I'm just going to take a minute to compose myself. So obviously that was super hard for you as well to go through. And, you know, we're just wondering kind of what it was like um, to have, you know, doctors continually say to you, like, you know, it's fine. It's okay. Yeah. So it was really frustrating for both of us. Uh, I remember one particular time coming out of the hospital and her saying, you know, she, she would never break down. She was so stoic, which was really not good. But she was just like, there were tears coming down her face. And she just said, Mom, I wish they would just tell me I have a brain tumor. And like, I only have five days to live. Like, that would be better than what I'm going through, where I keep going in and they keep telling me the same thing and I'm going to be fine. And there's really nothing wrong with me. And all my blood work is coming back fine. And there's clearly something wrong. And and yet it's being dismissed. Um, so like the screaming and crying from being diagnosed with ulcerative colitis is kind of another example of how relieved she was to have some kind of acknowledgement of an actual diagnosis. And, and uh, so I would say just severe frustration on our parts about a lack of diagnosis and you know, as a parent, you're kind of like going in a thousand directions about what could this be. You're trying to research things. You're looking things up, and there are so many directions to go, and it's so confusing. And you don't know who to listen to and who not to listen to. And um, that, it, yeah, so it's just a level of frustration that, oh, I mean, any parent who has had a chronically ill child will understand is, is just beyond even anything I can describe. Coming up with these questions, um, I did speak with Emily Ann on the phone for a little while, and she thought it was extremely important to add in the mental health side of um, everything that the patient's going through that has a chronic illness, and that lack of support, feeling isolated. Um, and from what we know and what you've said, Christina always seemed so healthy-minded, and you had the conversation with her about suicidal thoughts, um, and she said that she was fine, 
so did you ever see at all like that POTS was beginning to affect her mental health? Yeah, so so basically the question is when did you realize POTS was affecting her mental health? Sadly, really, I didn't. That's not true. I mean, I, I knew she was frustrated. I knew that she spent most of her senior year of high school not having a social life because she was not feeling good enough to do so. But she wasn't a complainer, and she'd still get up and go to swim practice because she'd said that was the only thing that made her feel kind of alive because she could actually function underwater because of the lack of, of uh, gravity and, and that sort of thing. Um, so, and, and the, also with Christina being a science-minded person, she probably gave too much credence to what the doctors were saying and not enough credence to what she was feeling inside. So it seems to be very common that people with POTS are overachiever type A personalities who don't want to admit defeat despite the fact that their bodies are falling apart. So uh, for like people in general, well, I did some, I've done some research on, on overall like why people do commit suicide and the top reasons apart from you know, severe psychoses, mental health related or uh, addiction are obviously depression, but also they have a phil philosophical desire to die, meaning that their desire to commit suicide is based on a reasoned decision or motivated by the presence of a painful terminal illness that they think they don't have any hope of getting over or there is no reprieve for. And so what I see is I see that depression gets linked with that philosophical desire to die. So these people are bright people. And of course you're going to become depressed when you're feeling sick for that long. And, and doctors keep telling you that you're, you're okay or you're going to be okay or whatever. And nothing you're trying is helping you. So I think there is going to be a level of depression there. I think there's also a level of, of, um, sort of left-brained thinking that comes into play of I can't live my life like this and this is hurting everyone around me because they're spending all their time on it as well so it's real gonna be yeah I think it's 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 something that there is not a chance that anyone with chronic illness is not going to be affected emotionally or mentally it is going to happen the question is you know, how does the dialogue go? How open is the person? Um, maybe you become more insistent on more dialogue. I mean, there's a lot of ways to go about it, but there isn't any doubt that there will be a huge mental health impact when your every aspect of your life is being taken away from you and you're living in like constant wacky symptom world. So, um, yeah. When did, um, you get in like contact with the dysautonomia project like when was she or when did you like find out that's what she had or you know like that okay so two that's a two-part question uh we didn't find out she had pots until about well until the beginning of 2014 okay. and it, that was through just a friend whose daughter had pots and i did the lie down stand up test with christina and we were like okay she has this thing so that's totally separate. Then following Christina's passing, um, 
Kelly Freeman's mother had seen the article in the paper about it and had talked to Kelly. And Kelly reached out to me and just said, hey, I'm part of the Dysautonomia Project here locally. Would you like to get together? And I didn't even know the I was calling it dysautonomia. Like, I didn't even know the word dysautonomia at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, there was so little medical information given to us at the time that she was diagnosed with POTS that the word dysautonomia had never even come up. And so Kelly and I met, and she started just talking about her symptoms. And I was like, oh, yeah, Christina would tell me that. Oh, Christina would tell me that. So almost everything she would say, it would suddenly become clear as what Christina was trying to explain to me, but like really couldn't explain about these various just random, seemingly unrelated symptoms, some having to do with hearing things or eye blurriness or hands trembling or a a sudden pain in the foot that lasts for a couple of weeks, just different things. So that's how I got to be involved with the Dysautonomia Project, and then I was uh, eventually asked to be on the board, and uh, I was I served on the board until we moved recently to Austin, Texas, and um, it has been enormously beneficial for me. Uh, so, um, being a part of the Dysautonomia Project and being having friends who I now can consider in some cases to be family members, um, in the case of Emily. Um, with dysautonomia has helped in my healing process, oddly, because I've learned about what dysautonomia is, and I'm now better able to understand what Christina was going to through, and she never wanted to complain. She would just give me a little snippet of what she was going through, but now I get the big picture, and it has been, for me, really important in, in a left brain sort of way um, for me to understand more systemically what was happening inside Christina's body, really from the beginning of her life to the very end of it. So by being involved with the Dysautonomia Project, and you still very much are, even though you're in Texas now, which we're sad about, but (laughs) um, what is your main goal and what do you hope to accomplish by being involved with the Dysautonomia Project? So I just uh, hope to continue raising awareness about what dysautonomia is among physicians and other medical professionals especially, but in the, in the general public as well. Um, I continue to distribute books when someone tells me, just like a random person at a workout class might say something, oh, my child was just diagnosed with POTS, and then I'll say, here, here's a book. And so I'm just continuing to create as much awareness as possible. Um, I feel like if uh, one, just one really of the physicians or specialists we saw along our journey had known about dysautonomia, Christina would have been diagnosed years sooner. But more importantly, she would have felt validated. Mm-hmm. Instead of having it repeatedly implied or stated that this was a mental condition or there was something she could do to alleviate her symptoms. So Christina really eventually gave up on the medical community. And I'm actually starting to think she even maybe believed them. So I'm doing this work in her honor and her memory so that others don't have to suffer with no medical diagnosis for years the way we did. Now, I'm, there's a lot of other people that are more involved in the research part or are more involved in other pieces. But for me, 
I'm just more interested in reaching as many people as possible about the prevalence of this. 70 million people worldwide have this thing mm -hmm. about um, that it needs to be quickly validated, that that's so important. And so I'm, you know, like we have this event coming up, the POTS Pi Day 5K on March 10th. Mm -hmm. And this will be our second annual POTS Pi Day 5K. And obviously I'm doing it in honor and memory of my daughter, but I really wouldn't need to be doing this. I am doing it because I now know so many people who are suffering and, and I want to further help them in any way that I can. And so this is a way that I can honor Christina and also raise awareness and raise money to help spread awareness and to help with, this cause in general okay so lastly do you have like a message you'd like to give to our listeners a message of hope or something that could help them um if they're going through maybe the same thing christina did or someone that's struggling with that absolutely so a couple things first of all if you already know that you're going through what christina went through you've already kind of you're you're in half the battle you've taken care of half the battle so my suggestion would be keep pushing forward because it may be you and your treatment or your particular struggle that causes some sort of medical breakthrough and some sort of treatment option that can help millions of others. Um, you know, while a lot of patients get better, there are many who don't. And so we've got to keep just, you know, getting as much research done and so that we can help people who um, are not getting any better. But as far as if you're going through something right now with your, either you or your child, it's real key to take all the pressure off your child and help them understand that anything going on in their life right now, as far as besides their health, can wait until their health improves, but that their health has to come first. And... So like in my case, Christina, we did tell her that and she didn't listen. But again, I think if she, her health issues had been validated, she would have listened. Um, the Another thing I've thought of is, is find doctors who will listen and take the time if they don't know about this autonomia to learn more about it. So that means if you're going to see a gastroenterologist and they're telling you the same thing every time, don't go back. There's no reason to go back to that doctor, even if it's a general practitioner or some other specialist. If it's someone willing to take the time to learn about it and to research, that could be the person that helped get you the real help. Um, obviously, you could try to see an autonomic specialist. There are very few board-certified autonomic specialists in the country, but that would have been what we would have done next. And... Um, and and, and, and also then as like a parent, monitor your child's mental health condition. Um, know that if your child is feeling sick, that their mental health is not going to be good. And um, remember that chronic illness is the third most common reason for suicide. So just, you know, to have that open dialogue with your, your uh, family or your child and 
this isn't actually necessarily a message of hope, but also tell everyone you know about dysautonomia. Share statistics, share the information about the prevalence and the lack of knowledge about it, and that it isn't being taught in medical schools, that these are things that have to change. And the more people that we educate, the more likely we are to get this thing put on the medical board exams. And the more likely we are to have every doctor, in my in my opinion, every pediatrician mm -hmm. should have a special training on this, on how to recognize it. Um, I believe that most of these cases can be caught in the very early stages and then things can be put in place so that they, that they don't escalate to the level that a lot of cases have escalated. And I really think that a lot of cases like Emily's, like Christina's, and many, many others have escalated because there was no validation. So there was, you know, they just, they, were, they weren't getting any help from the beginning. Well, that was good. Thank you. So first and foremost, thank you so much to Tava for taking the time to talk to us. Um, it was a difficult conversation to have emotionally, but we're so happy that um, she's so willing to share her and Christina's story to all of us in hopes um, of raising more education and awareness about POTS and dysautonomia because it's just so desperately needed. All right, to wrap things up, don't forget to post your photos on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and tag us in hashtag MugsUp. That way you can be entered into our contest. And if you'd like to make a donation to the Dysautonomia Project, visit our website, www.thedysautonomiaproject.org. And you can visit our website also if you want to buy our book that's co-authored by our founder, Kelly Freeman, and a bunch of other autonomic specialists. Thank you all for listening today. We're so appreciative of all of your support on all of our social media. Um, we are just so happy for all of our followers. And, and we're excited for our contest, so we... We really hope waiting. to see your pictures. We're, We're waiting so excited. for the overflow of pictures that are just going to be coming in here. So we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.